Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey. I'm the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney, and my producer is Anthony Dockrell. A very big thank you to him as ever. Tonight, we are going to look at one of the most interesting and arguably most important pieces of journalism of the past 12 months and talk to the journalists behind it. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of talking to Hedley Thomas about his podcast, Teacher's Pet. And now I have the equally great privilege of exploring Exposed, the story of Kelly Lone Lane with Caro Meldrum Hanna. Hello, Caro. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming. Uh, it's well been, I'm sure it's going to be worth the wait. I hope so. I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> this is a cracking yarn. I mean, it's got mm. everything. It's got babies. It's got dark secrets. It's got a crime, mm. missing person, presumed dead. Just for the benefit of for the handful of people who haven't really caught up with the story, tell us about it in essence and maybe then reflect on what. What makes it such a great story? Yeah, sure. At the centre of it all is a woman called Kelly Lane. Uh, she was from, is from Sydney's affluent northern beaches. She was known as the Golden Girl, actually, coming from Manly. She was a very talented athlete. Mm. She was a swimmer. She was a water polo player. She was a great runner. Uh, she had a huge amount of friends, very popular, very attractive Blonde hair, tanned skin. She was really sort of the girl that had it all. And vivacious. She was the, vivacious, all, all that, yeah. yeah. Confident. The girl, she, it was the girl, she was going somewhere in life. Mm -hmm. Her father was the local cop and her mum worked at the local hospital and they were very well known and very respected. So, you know, outwardly, mm. Kelly Lane was a bit of a star. She had it all. She did. Yeah, the Aussie dream. Inside, she was deeply troubled. Mm. Uh, she had a, a double life, really. Um, a lot of secrets and a lot of lies. And this all centred around really falling pregnant. Mm. She fell pregnant repeatedly six times by the time she was by the time she was twenty three or twenty four. She had two terminations for the first. Her first pregnancy was when she was in year twelve at school. She terminated that one then a second soon after. But when she fell pregnant a third time, she took a radically different path and she didn't terminate the pregnancy. Instead she kept it. She was mm. playing elite water polo. She concealed the pregnancy all the way had the baby in secret, didn't tell anyone. No one asked her a thing, despite her changing body shape. Well, that's remarkable. Remarkable we'll, we'll in, it, that, in itself, that, just yeah, one. Remarkable she itself. did it again and again. Three babies within five years, all in secret. No one knew. The dads didn't know. And she adopted the first and the third out. But the middle child, Tegan, a girl, she went missing when she was just two days old. Two, mm. two days old and the day Kelly Lane left hospital with her out in um, Western Sydney. And went to a wedding. She went to a wedding. That's right. She turned up a couple of hours later in a white suit, crisp white suit. And for anyone who's had a child, they would know how outrageously strange in itself just that is, a woman turning up in a white suit. And on top of that, Kelly Lane, had, it had been a difficult birth, actually, with Tegan. Um, she'd hemorrhaged significantly. And um, she'd lost a lot of blood, too. She had manual removal of the placenta, which is a... Yeah, pretty, you know, ferocious and a very painful um, thing. So she wasn't certainly in her in. She wouldn't have been feeling her best, and she was in a white suit. There she was at the wedding and dancing away, and went home. Um, an inc an incredible physical and psychological feat mm. to do that. And at the centre of it all, really, is 
this woman, I mean, who is this woman, this yeah. enigma? Who, 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 could, who could do this possibly? But also it's where is that baby? Of course. We know where the other two well, that's are. That's the mystery. Mm. That's the mystery. And she's sitting in jail now, Kelly Lane. She's been sitting in there for, for around eight years. Yes. Convicted of murder, murdering Tegan. Without a body. Without a body. Body's never been found. There were no witnesses, no uh, forensic sort of evidence, no blood, mm. uh, no weapon. Uh, there were, obviously there's no body. And mm. it's, a, it's this big black hole, these hours, when Kelly Lane left hospital and when she turned up at a parent's place and then went on to the wedding. What happened there? And that's what you've been seeking to fill in. Indeed, because despite a coronial inquest, Mm. a very high-profile murder trial and a very controversial murder trial, that is still a mystery. No one has established what on earth happened in those hours. Now, obviously, the prosecution successfully argued that Kelly Lane, in some unknown way, at some unknown location, at a rather unknown time, killed and disposed of Tegan... Kelly Lane says, I didn't kill my baby. I gave it away to its biological father and this man who has it's, never been found. He's got two names. He's got two names. He had two names. names. Yeah, from Andrew Morris to an Andrew Norris, M to an N. And now in our program at the end of the series, she relented for the first time in so, so many years and said, I don't even think that surname's right. I'm, I'm withdrawing the surname. And all I can give you is Andrew. It seems that she clung on to a surname where she explains when she was under a huge amount of stress Mm. and in her feelings duress with police when she was being interrogated without any representation, I would add, in her three police interviews. So it's a... It's a really complex tale, and we were dealing with the character at the centre of its centre of it. Someone who is is known to be a, have been a serial liar. Absolutely. So, how are we going to unpick mm. number one all of those lies from the past, but then find a way to deal with what she was telling us now and figure out if that was the truth or not? So, yeah, that's. I mean, this. What's great about your? I mean, so many great things about what you've done, but one of them is it's very transparent. I mean, mm. we're, we're on a journey with you. Uh, we see you get the, you know, essentially first contact with Kelly. Hmm. What did you uh, make of that? You know, what you you, know, you get hit up with lots of great story ideas. Mm. You've done some amazing stories. So what was it that you went, oh, Kelly Lane? Because Kelly Lane's story, even though it's a mystery, has been told many times. That's it, like Lynn Dawson, it. you know. And her, her, her disappearance and suspected death has long been mm. r- reported on. I mean, Hedley Thomas was actually reported on it himself. Yes. So Kelly, con- Kelly Lane course. contacted you, right? Indeed she did. And I was, I mean, when all this was in the news, I um, I never reported on it. I, I never had anything to do with the Kelly Lane matter, say, unlike Hedley Thomas. Mm. I was at university when it, mm. was, when it was all happening. Mm. So I had no professional or personal connection to it. Um, and to be quite frank, not a lot of interest in it. It was something that happened sort of before my time as, as a journalist, really. Mm. So I was sitting in the office at Four Corners where I was at the ABC as a reporter and I received a letter just like every day. People write to you and asking mm. you to look at their stories. Some are letters from lunatics and you can tell straight away. Mm-hmm. Red, it, red pen, green pen. Or, well, wh- whatever, whatever colour or whatever yeah. font it's yeah. in. Yeah. That's a tip for anyone out there who wants to send a letter to a, a journal. Don't send in green or red. Anyway. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but uh, I opened this one up, and it was—it's the most was the most perfectly written, neat, well composed letter I'd ever received. And as I was reading reading along, and my heart was started to race harder and harder because I was thinking mm. this can only be from one person, and then yeah, it was right. from Kelly Lane. 
you know, this notorious child killer. Why is she writing to me? I, I, I have no connection to her. She later explained why. Um, she'd been watching my programs, my Four Corners programs in prison, and she said I turned to my fellow inmate and said that's the girl for me. Um, she reports without fear or favour is what she was saying. Yes, no, that, yeah, that's right. That, that comes across in that first step as well, right? Yeah. So, But I was conflicted. Mm. I... At first, I thought it was a hoax, this letter. She was asking me to look into her case. She was saying she's innocent. She's tried everything, that her her child is out there. She she needs to reinvigorate the search for her child. I'll never forget that line. Um, and she wanted to prove that she, she didn't harm that child and she certainly didn't kill her baby. Um, but I knew, you know... How how on earth were we, or was I, let alone mm. we, the team that came together, going to get further than so many investigators and detectives and coroners and solicitors and lawyers, you know, people versed and so highly skilled in but your, solving your these mysteries. Your gut instinct was telling you something, right? What Big it, time. What was it telling you? It, well, secrets and lies. Yep. And it was that the truth is still unknown. It was just the truth siren was going off. Yeah, yeah. Truth, 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 truth. Can I solve a mystery here? Because mm. And it really is one of the greatest mysteries in a criminal sense of our time and one of our most controversial cases, um, how a woman has gone to prison with, on the face of it, what seems like quite a, a low level there of hard evidence. Mm. You know, right down to the fact that when even the coroner and the judge is saying there is actually no proof that the child is even dead, mm. let alone that this woman killed her or caused her mm. death, there is no body. But just because, on the other hand, mm. as the prosecution, prosecution says, there isn't a body, it doesn't mean a murder hasn't been no. committed. Well, that's right. I mean, so, Tegan Lane could be living in the United States, mm. you know, about to graduate or something, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> indeed, she could be. She she would be 22 now. Yeah. Um, Peter, so, yes, where is she? Is she six feet under? Is she two feet under? Has she... Or has she been given to someone? Is she living a life somewhere not knowing who she is? So I, I'm going to have to answer, ask that question mm. then. Do you know? At this point in time? At this point in time. I can't say confidently. No, I don't know. But you have a suspicion? I do. I have my suspicion, yes. Would you like to share that with us? I'm so sorry, no. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> I would not no, like really to. Sure? No, I would, I would not like to at this point in time. Um, there is always a great temptation as a journalist, I think particularly when you get mm. so close to something, mm. where it can almost become personal and you can slide into advocacy journalism. And I I see that occur sometimes and it, it always makes me very uncomfortable because my opinion or my thought is actually really not relevant. It's the facts and what yeah, so I can actually yeah, bulletproof. Really, yeah, no, it's an interesting proof. point because... You know, you can make big calls as a journalist, but they can be wrong. You need yeah. to be on solid ground. And yet in this reporting, in this style of reporting, it is not necessarily your story, but mm. you are central to that story. You're not an anonymous reporter no. who pops up at the beginning of the show and you are, we see you in the car, we see you interviewing the yeah. mother. That was remarkable. So it's very much And that was a deliberate story. thing, Peter, yeah. And and thank you for picking up on that because it was a, it was a construction that we conceived, myself and the co-creator of this series, Exposed is what we called it, and it's... Mm. Ideally, and the goal is that this just keeps going exposed. We come back with a different season, a different topic, a different story repeatedly. We, we come back in different outings and forms and shapes. But we deliberately constructed it in that way to, I guess, rip down this this traditional mm. wall that has been between journalist 
and your audience or viewers or readers. Uh, the journalism's changing and the people who are consuming it, they're changing too and they want different things. And distrust in the media and what journalists do has never been higher mm. than it is now. There is great distrust for what we do. Mm. So, and I, I was thinking about this a lot when I was thinking, how are we going to bring something different too to Australia um, than what, what Australians are used to seeing with, mm. with long-form journalism, particularly television documentaries? And it's always the sort of voice of God narrator. I wanted to get rid of that too. There's no narration in the program. It's driven by all of the characters and I, myself, and co-reporter Elise Worthington become a character in that deliberately to show the audience the actual process. Mm. It, when I was at Four Corners, I, I used to receive so much criticism and backlash from people who would say, why didn't you interview that person? Why didn't you try and contact them? Uh, why did you ask that person that question? What have you left out? Mm -hmm. How did you find that person? Mm. How did you get them to say yes? I thought, you know what? Why don't we just show them as much as we can yes. what yeah. we do? Um, and avoid all in, yeah. of that distraction from, from the actual journalism. Yeah, it's an exercise in transparency. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And a bit of trust. And mm. two, if you're asking your subjects, I think as well as journalists, if you're asking your subjects and your interviewees and your talent, as, as we call them, I guess crudely in the television industry, if you're asking people to expose themselves all the time, to sit down in front of a camera, I think, mm. let, let, well, let's, let's all do it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally with you on this. And I mean, the other thing that's happening here is the role of the audience audience mm. in being co-investigators in a way. I've, Absolutely. I've lost count of where the Facebook group is at. Last time I looked, it was about 30,000 members. Yeah, more than I, that. I, I think so. I think it's nudged over. And they're helping, they're putting in lots of tips, right? There's lots of, you're they getting are. flooded with information. Flooded with information, lots of tips, lots of conversation, which is <laughs> pretty hard to control. And you, you know, you don't really want to control conversation, but legally you need to. Mm with wild theories and accusations that are baseless. And I think that's fantastic because the people in this Facebook group, they've come up with ideas and they have knowledge of searching things and places mm. that we, didn't, number one, didn't even think of but also don't know how to do. Um, and I, there was a moment of realisation for me after the Facebook group was set up, which was uh, Flip Pryor uh, at the ABC, her fantastic idea. It was a bit of a, quite what a visionary. What a great idea. She's she a total a legend. Totally. And um, she, it was her idea to start this up and it was this big realisation when these ideas and people were coming through with great stuff. I thought, oh my gosh, often we journalists, we are so arrogant. We mm. think we can do this all ourselves, or we know best. Mm. We really don't for, my, for a lot of the time. These people, many of them had better ideas and were cleverer than me. So thank you to the audience, I guess, is, is all I can say there. And they're things that have legitimately, legitimately led us to actually close off a few leads, which yeah, is great. Right. Okay. And giving you new leads, right? That's right. Lots of new, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Let's go back to the story because uh, there's lots of compelling interviews in this story. Yeah. Um, but none great more, cast of characters. Great cast of characters. None more so than Kelly Lane's mum and dad. Mm. Uh, as the show progresses, the interviews with Sandy, the mother, mm. in particular come uh, fraught. I'm not sure if that's the right word. They become raw intense. There's a lot They're of very raw tense. emotion in there. Very tense, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, I have never, ever be, been in someone's house where the, the mood, it's hard to describe, where the mood and the atmosphere was so heavy. The first day we got there, and the, the, they were really, really super nervous and anxious. I mean, this has been 
a disaster for them. Their lives have been blown up from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And, and we're sitting in there, sitting down with a mother and a father who are going on camera and talking about their daughter who is sitting in prison for murdering their granddaughter. Mm. And around us are photos of little gorgeous Kelly Lane with medals hung around her neck at nippers. Mm. Um, this beautiful child who they adore and they're there sitting talking about that. A, a, a great failing in parenting, in their connection and relationship with her, um, you know, so much there, so much distress and sorrow. So they were very hard to, very hard to manage and mm. they are both extremely distrustful, almost to the point of hateful of the media. They suffered terribly being mobbed and chased down the street. So when we're in there and they finally agreed to talk to us, I just said to them, look, We've got to treat this as just an armchair chat. I'm not here to interrogate you. We're not in court. Mm-hmm. I want to know about your daughter. I want to know about what led to this and I want to know about your involvement. Let's try and understand her because I don't think we understand Kelly Lane because she's never, ever spoken, you see, and you two really haven't either. So, But they're interesting characters in themselves and what you would – normally expect, I guess, from a mother, from Sandy Say, I think the audience would have been expecting her to, to break down in tears immediately. Mm. Far, and from, far from it in this case. Though, isn't it, it was the exact opposite. Yeah. She was tough. Mm. She was cool. She was disconnected from it. She was actually quite ignorant of many of the facts involved in the matter. I got to a point where I was telling her things, basic facts about no, no, Kelly I saw Lane's that, movements. But did did, did right. you believe that? I did. You see her as, a, as it were, a credible witness, as it were. I, b- I believed her lack of knowledge on, on right. several things. I, I do. But a point. But when, when it really comes down to whether she knew Kelly Lane was pregnant or not, uh, to me it was more a case of I'm not seeing something because I don't want to see it rather than I haven't seen it. Mm. Um, if she opened her, up her eyes a little bit more. But look, you, you, you can only ask someone the question over and over. It, it's mm. their answer. that You have to be guided by that. I can't tell her, you know, what, you're, what you believe is wrong. It's what she believes. She believes that she didn't know she was pregnant. Others believe that Sandy Lane did know Kelly Lane was pregnant. But we asked Sandy and she said what she said. Mm. Um, but they were, look, they were very, very difficult interviews because they were so reluctant. But by the end, it was actually quite a, you know, fascinating evolution. It went from this really tense and hostile environment to actually at the final interview, and these were, the interviews ran over several months. Mm-hmm. We were in that house for hours and hours and hours every time. And on the final interview, I, I won't forget it, Sandy Lane, she broke down in tears and she said, and I didn't expect this, she got up out of a chair and she hugged me and she said, thank you. And I think Sandy got to a point that she hadn't reached before. She was just, she, she could openly weep about it. She sort of let down a guard. It was just, ugh. This is journalism as therapy almost, isn't it? Perhaps, perhaps sometimes it can be, it can be cathartic for people Mm. if you give them the time, you give them the time and the understanding and the combat and the compassion and just listen. What's what's going on in your head at this point? In all these interviews, what's going on in your head? I mean, at one level you're going, I'm assuming I've got to, you know, there's a, I've got to get the story. I'm on the hunt. I'm on the hunt. And on the, on another level you're going, I've got to uh, show empathy and compassion to this person. Well, I don't have trust. to. I just well, do, you know. Well, it's, but it's good professional behavior as well, isn't it, at that point? You need to yeah. – she needs to trust you, right? I mean, it's important that she trusts you. I'm yeah. not saying you're being fake. I'm just saying mm. you've got this sort of 
dichotomy in your head. Mm, mm. How do you manage that inside yourself, you know? Because you are on an emotional journey with these people as well. Indeed. Well, you can never become someone's friend mm. um, when you're when they are your – well, they're your subject really and your source and you, you, you can't become their friend, you can't become their advocate. What was going on in my mind is constantly thinking how – how is the audience going to perceive you? How am I weighing up what other people have told me about people's, you know, level of knowledge and what I, what you're telling me? It's really the exact same principles as really apply in any story when you're when you're interviewing someone. Um, it just so happened that this one was such a sort of personal and terrifically disturbing subject matter. It was so nothing out of the ordinary was going on through my head. It was. Mm. I need to just figure out a way to tell your story really genuinely and properly. Mm. Not hide your ugly bits. Show your ugly bits. Show the the hostility, but also show too that you do have a heart. It mm. was it was that. To be fair, really. To be fair, mm. yeah. Well, I I think you're inscrupulously fair in it. Yeah. One of the things that Exposed does, and not dissimilar to Teachers Pet, because they're both sort of in the same part of the world, the northern beaches of yeah. Sydney. They do. How much do you think Kelly Lane was a kind of a, a sense of product of her culture? I mean, mm. not you know. Well, maybe we stop from being too much of a, a social demographer here, yeah. but nonetheless, I mean, she, as you described her at the beginning, she is very much a product of this. Uh, gold, it's a good question. Golden culture. That, that's right. It's a good question because look, for me, Kelly Lane is ninety nine percent a product of her upbringing, her culture, her environment, her surroundings, her, the expectations on her. And then I think, okay, I mean, I guess we're all a product of, of of those same things. And then it comes down to personal responsibility for yourself and how you act and what you do and how you choose to conduct yourself and whether you choose to lie or not. And so that, that, it, that was a conflict for me as well. On the one hand, I knew she was a, a product of where she'd come from. And, you know, you heard in the program that for Kelly Lane, this, this girl, she was her first sexual experience. She says was a rape. She lost her virginity with a rape. There were it was a constant fraternising of older men and younger girls mm. in these social circles in Manly at the surf club and the sports club and at training and in water polo. It was an unhealthy environment, and the teacher's pet explored that really well. Mm. This, the exact same thing really was going on in Kelly Lane's world. Mm. It was inappropriate, and her friends told me exactly the same thing mm. that. Older guys, younger girls, totally out of your depth, a lot of drinking, and it was cool to sleep with a lot of people when you really weren't ready. So, and then on top of that, it was an environment where you don't talk about your weaknesses, you're expected to be a champion, you are a winner, Kelly Lane, and don't tell me about your problems. We don't have time for them. Get out there and win the next race or win the next match. And how you how you are perceived in community, Kelly, that it reflects on us, your mum and dad, you know, you you are a good girl. So I don't, I don't really think Kelly Lane knew who she was. I don't know. She didn't have a strong sense of self-identity. She was such a people pleaser. And that was um, – and when she was finally assessed, as you see in, in our program, the first time she's assessed by mm. a forensic psychiatrist. Crazy when you think about it considering she's sitting in jail for murder. Never been assessed by a forensic psychiatrist, but anyway – and that was she. The, the forensic psychiatrist came out and said exactly the same thing: a chronic people pleaser. And quite unusually, Kelly Lane is she's incapable of criticising men. She has been, and it's it's quite rare. She has been raised in a way that men are heroes. And they aren't wrong. You don't criticise them, and you do what they say. You never ever dob them in. She had this complete inability to criticise men, 
which really surprised this psychiatrist. She, I don't think she sees it much. So I, all of our theories, you know, you theorise as a journalist, that they were, most of them were confirmed when the professionals went in, went in to mm. see her. Um, so did this, uh, was it Dr. Bust, isn't it? That's yeah, right, right, yes, so yes. So Dr. Bust changed your theories of Kelly? She, um, no, she didn't change my theories, but she profoundly shocked me. Because I was at a point when Dr. Bust went to see Kelly Lane and, and I was at a point where I was actually, just to be completely honest, I was exhausted. I was really, mm. really tired. And um, so was the rest of the team. And there'd been countless calls with Kelly, Kelly Lane. I felt like I'd hit such a massive brick wall with her. I was lost in a sea of details and little facts and memories of hers. And I, I felt, I think, probably like the police did. I was just out at sea with all of this stuff. And I needed a guide mm-hmm. um, because you can get lost mm-hmm. in, in, in lots of different stories. Sure. And I needed a guide and I was at a point where I was hoping Dr. Bust was going to go in and see Kelly. It was almost like I wanted a quick fix and she was going to come out and say, here you go, Cara. I've got the answer for you. Mm. Kelly Lane is a, is a she's delusional. Mm. She's a narcissist. She she is a serial liar. She doesn't know the difference between truth and lies. I ne- I wanted her to just end it for yeah. me. But she came out and said the opposite. She she said she basically uh, Kelly Lane could be the woman sitting next to you on the bus. That's right. She and Tegan Lane could be alive. Kelly Lane could be innocent, and a man could be out there with her child. She. She wasn't a narcissist. She wasn't a pathological liar. She wasn't evil. She wasn't all these things that had been so widely and roundly reported of Kelly Lane. She wasn't any of these things, according to the expert. And I was, it was sort of a bit of a relief, but also felt like tearing my hair out. Then who are we dealing with here? Are we dealing with an innocent person? Is, is she sitting in jail, a, an innocent person? And that was, you know, the door of possibility is then thrown wide open again. Mm. You're not going to answer that question, are you? She is an innocent person. I can look. You know what? I can answer it. I guess I can go creep towards it in a way that's the best way, mm-hmm. um, which is really episode three was the episode for me where the, her innocence or guilt was sort of suspended, and the fairness of the process is, is what is at the heart of it here for me. Was that trial a fair one and is it a safe conviction? Mm-hmm. Was it all above board in great, there? Great questions, yeah. And I think episode three showed that there was a lot going on behind the scenes that people didn't know about. There were witnesses that, you, that the jury didn't hear about. And to have these incredibly confessional interviews with the former homicide detective mm. who led the investigation into Kelly Lane, for her to sit there and say, we were not ready to go to trial, mm. our investigation was not complete, we didn't even charge her with murder. We, we, didn't, we didn't have enough, mm. we decided, the, the police. DPP the DPP did it mm. a year later. To have so, those sorts of things and, and then to learn more about what was going on in the trial. So is a fair, well, fair action here, a fair, fair response to all that? is would be what, to release her and retrial? Retrial's a leap. I, I think right at the moment there is now the, the formal application in with the Attorney-General yes. and the Department of Justice for a judicial review of mm-hmm. that trial, of the prosecutorial practices and the police practices that led to Kelly Lane being convicted. And 
I can't interfere with that process, but as I understand it, that is, it is moving forward and it is being um, seriously looked at whether there should be a judicial review. Um, and, you know, then again, even after the, the series went to where I reported a, a piece for 7.30, we, mm. we had documents from really quite late into the murder trial where the prosecutor himself was fearing that the trial was going to be aborted because there were so many searches still outstanding for this child, school searches, all this sort of stuff. Sure, sure. Departmental searches. And you think, really? I mean, really, is this how a murder trial is run? Is this how it should be run? Mm. Mm. When people are not prepared, when so much hasn't been completed, when we're not hearing from crucial witnesses, what, you know, what's going on here? But there was a, so much pressure on the police and then the DPP mm. to do mm. something once the truth of the backstory was revealed. The backstory in terms of her uh, multiple her, her, pregnancies? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Was there or not? Am I being... I, mean, I think there were pressures. It was a, it was it was an interesting time um, for both the DPP and the mm. the unsolved homicide squad. The DPP was under a lot of pressure financially then in New South Wales with the then AG Hetzitzagos, I think oh, it was, yes, and right. um, there was it was actually quite a public spat yes, no, between I remember, the then yeah, DPP, yeah, Cowdery yeah. and Hetzitzagos, and so it wasn't a very good time. Um, for the DPP and also over at Unsolved Homicide, I think they needed they needed a win, they needed a conviction, they needed a prosecution too. So, look, and maybe that was Kelly Lane. It was high profile. Um, it was a it was a big matter. Hmm. When you compare though the the evidence, I guess, say with something like Lynn Dawson, which Hedley Thomas is so has so um, widely pointed out, it's this whole thing about what Mr Cowdery was saying about nobody, you know, when you weigh up what Indeed. cases are prosecuted and what aren't, yeah. it's just that comparison is astounding between the nobody for Lynn Dawson, that's why she could still be alive, the nobody for Tegan Lane and Kelly Lane, that's why she's dead. Well, that, that, how, do you, how do you balance it? Well, that brings up this, the obvious question there, I suppose, is if Kelly Lane was Kel Lane, a philandering <laughs> yes, dad, yep. do you think, I mean, we're speculating at this point, which isn't what we should mm. do as journalists, but do you think he, uh, Cal Lane would be in clink now? Mm. Okay. Me, I believe that it became, it was more believable, it seemed, and acceptable for those investigating and prosecuting Kelly Lane that a woman, a mother would murder her child. It was more believable that would happen than it was for a man to take his child and raise it. Hmm. Now, I don't know if that's inherent gender bias. I don't know what that is, but it, it was more believable that a woman had murdered the baby than it, than it was the possibility that a dad would ever take a baby to raise it himself. How ridiculous. It's as if a man would ever do that. Really? I know countless men who are doing that right now exactly. who are raising their, ch their children and the mothers aren't. But that wasn't a prevailing idea. No, no, it wasn't, um, it, it seems. But also, Kelly had lied so much. Mm. But one of the really fascinating things, too, on that on that point, so much was made about Kelly Lane's promiscuity, basically that she was just a massive slut. Mm. Um, and she was sleeping with everyone. So then that was part of her guilt, too. She was so promiscuous. She just mm. didn't care. Um, she was a scarlet woman at this point. Indeed, yeah. Mm. Um, mm. And I was told that she was... Actually, a police officer who used to work at Manly rang me after the series went to air because he was so compelled to tell me. He was saying, do you know, do you know what Kelly Lane was even known as in Manly? I said, no. Is this, gonna, is this 
really a material? Is this going to help me in Do my investigation? Yeah. He said, yeah, it's, it's important. She was known as the manly mattress. That says everything. Oh, it was just, yeah, it does say everything. Mm. How, how, mm. how does that help? Not <laughs> help necessarily about Kelly Lane. No, it doesn't. But, yeah, um, yeah so much mm. was made about her, her promiscuity that I, I think that seemed to drown out a lot of more reasonable and, and rational mm. talk. And, okay, if she's the manly mattress, then, then what of all the men who are lying on that mattress with her mm. and having sex with her? Indeed. Yeah. Um, I know we got a bit lost there on no, the, no, it's the okay. gender thing. But. Uh, just a couple more questions because we do have to wrap up. But um, where does this end for you? I mean, is there in your head, is there a logical conclusion mm. of this story? Well, there are only a... There's only two ways, really, isn't there? There is. There's only two ways. But there's mm. sort of a, a finite amount of questions and holes that still need a plug in them mm. and an answer to. And I think we've plugged a couple so far. Um. There's still a few more, obviously, that um, we need to plug. But there is there is an end in sight, and I, I can't say what that is. I'd like to, but I can't say what that is. Okay. But there will be a second season. Hey, I, uh, I can't answer that confidently either. But who know, if there is, who knows what that second season will be on or about. <laughs> but the, Ke- the, the Kelly Lane situation. Yes, the situation. Situation. Okay, yeah. Will be... It will be wrapped up. It will be resolved in, <clears throat> pardon me, the best way that it can be. But sometimes this stuff takes time, mm. you know. And you, you've got that time and you're willing We've to We've got put the it. time. We've got the time. And the okay. ABC is willing to give it the time too, okay. which is the important thing. Sometimes you can't get everything you want um, straight away. There's a song so in that keep going. But yeah. Yes, yeah, you can't always get what you want, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. You often seem to, though. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I'm always complaining. Are you? Well, I so, want I'm more. not saying it doesn't. Yeah, we want more. I we want always more. want more. I need more. Yeah, of course, we that's what need it is. More. Yeah. But no, I I desperately want to get to the end of it, and I feel the weight of people's desire to to resolve this situation. And in the end, really, there can't be anything. I mean, there can't be anything more serious and important than a two day old baby. You know what? Yeah. Where is where, where is that girl? What what happened to her? So since the uh, series um, aired, mm. you've learnt a bit more information about these uh, very promiscuous times. What's that? We have, we have. And I, this all really surprised us. What was so unbelievable about Kelly Lane was, you know, putting all the her sexual history aside, say, mm. was her capacity to conceal. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone, no one can really understand it. No one can empathise with it. How do you fall pregnant three times and conceal this and have these babies and, and give them away? I mean, it was so, it's positively freakish mm-hmm. for so many people. They just don't understand yeah. it. And it was hard for us to understand. Um, but obviously she was a young woman in a lot of distress, but still it was freakish. But since the series went to air, we were then receiving email after email after email after email of this confession, these confessional outpourings from Australian women who were writing, I have done exactly what Kelly Lane did. One woman wrote to us, she had three concealed pregnancies when she was 16, 17 and 19 years old. All of them concealed from her family. All of them she adopted out and no one still knows to this day. Several other women writing the same thing. We've had people writing to us saying, I am the result of a concealed pregnancy. I was that child. And I've and I've recently found out, and not so she, it's all the, over, from all over the country, from all over the country. Wow! And not just one concealed pregnancy, but multiple, multiple, multiple concealed pregnancies. Yeah, and for us, it was whoa. Mm. This this happens, and the freakish element to Kelly 
really has really dissipated for me, this mm. very hard to understand element because, you know, many other people have gone through this as well. And I wonder if we if the jury learnt more about that mm. too mm. is what goes through goes through my mind. Imagine if the jury heard about that as well, that this isn't sure, it's certainly extreme behaviour, but it's not never before happened behaviour and it's and it's not murder behaviour, behaviour mm. of murder, I think. Well, this goes These back are the to, things that run around in my head. It goes back to uh, Ambust as well, right? That she could really be the woman sitting next to you on the bus. Indeed, yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, well, on that note. And is her mother innocent? Is she guilty? On those notes and those still burning questions. But before you finish. Yes. Putting that all aside, should Kelly Lane be sitting in Silverwater Women's Correctional Centre? Answer your own question. I think it needs to be answered by the Attorney General. I do. I, I, it's it's at that level now that that's where it needs to be answered and that's where it needs to be looked at. There are serious questions about what went on. And will it be answered before the New South Wales state election? Unlikely, right? Unsure. It took two years for a judicial review to be called for Kathleen Fulbick. Mm. That, that sat on the AG's desk for two years. So that's why I said time, the tyranny of time. Maybe, who knows, maybe something here will happen mm. a lot more quickly. A decision will be made, either yay or nay, a lot more quickly. Okay. Uh, I'd hope so. Well, maybe you'll do something. Indeed. That's right. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> uh, Cara Meldrum, thank you so much for being on Fourth Estate. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, you've been listening to the Fourth Estate, and uh, if you uh, make sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast app where you can listen to us uh, at your leisure. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, follow us on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is Fourth Estate AU. My name is Peter Frey, and thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.